couple of weeks ago, the question was asked in our home groups, what's your favorite song? What is your favorite hymn? And in our group, we had a variety of answers, but every time I'm asked that question, it's always the same. It's the song we just sang, Be Still My Soul. And I didn't pick this out. I appreciate the worship planner for picking that out because that song has very special meaning to our family. That is the song that we clung to whenever we faced a very difficult moment in our lives. And every time I sing that song, my mind is flooded with memories. Memories of trial, memories of sorrow, but also memories of God's presence and God's provision. We were in a situation that was beyond us. We were in a situation that we couldn't fix ourselves. And we had to, as a family, do what this song tells us to do. To leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change, he faithful will remain. In those words sustained us, or better stated, God sustained us through those words. There is a connection between the songs that we sing and the memories that we attach to those songs, and perhaps there was a song sung this morning that marked a special memory, perhaps triggered a memory for you this morning. Maybe it's How Great Thou Art. Maybe there was a face attached to that song. Memory. As human beings, we are wired to, to make and to sustain memory. This week, we've had a, a celebration in this country, a celebration that is rich in tradition. It is a day whenever we gather together with family and friends, it's a day for grilling hot dogs and hamburgers. It's a day for apple pie. It's also a day for a strange tradition of gathering with complete strangers and watching exploding lights in the sky, something that's been celebrated in our neighborhood for a week now. <laughs> we heard it last night. On the way home from fireworks on July the 4th, I asked the, our children, you know, do you know what the 4th of July is all about? And they gave answers from what they've been able to put together so far, uh, but I used that as an opportunity to tell them the story as best I could, the story of the founding of our country, the story of the Declaration of Independence. Yes, there is a reason for the season. There's a reason why we set apart that day as a time of celebration, because really it's a time for remembrance. It's a time for memory. Now the 4th of July wasn't really an official day of celebration. It wasn't an official holiday till 100 years after the signing of the Declaration of Independence. But it's important for the nation to mark out that day. It's important for the nation to stop and to remember, because to not pause, to not remember, would be to our own peril. It wouldn't take long for this nation to lose her memory. 
to lose the story of its founding. To lose the story, to lose the memory, would be to lose the identity of the people. Because we're shaped by memory. We are shaped the way we think, the way we look at the world. The lens through which we see the world is shaped by these larger stories. Uh, the fancy word for these stories is meta-narratives. These large, overarching stories that really ground us and shape us. And to lose those stories would be to lose our way. We would be wanderers. We would be drifters in life without these meta-narratives. And every nation has a story. Every nation has a founding. And it's a story that must be told over and over again to keep the memory of the nation alive, to keep the identity of the people alive. And for Americans, there's a lot more going on there on the 4th of July than just hot dogs and apple pie and sparklers. As fun as those things are, there's something going on underneath. There's a passing on of memory to the next generation. Well, no one knows this connection between memory and story and identity better than our Creator. The one who wired us for memory, the one who wired us for story, the one who wired us for tradition and storytelling. And we'll see this especially in our sermon passage this morning. We're going to go deep into the Old Testament, into Exodus, the second book of the Bible. So if you want to turn to Exodus chapter 12, we're going to be there here in a moment. And I think what we'll discover is that God helps his people with their memory. In a way, he initiates this idea of making memory. Exodus chapter 12. We're going to take a break from our study of 2 Timothy for a variety of reasons. One reason is because 2 Timothy is a very intense letter. And I didn't realize how intense 2 Timothy was until I really started to dive into Paul's last words from prison to young Timothy. And so what we're going to do in the month of July, we're going to take a break from that letter and we'll pick it up in August. But we're going to start a new series for about four weeks called, Are We There Yet? And essentially, we're going to pick up the Camp Agape theme, the theme of road trip. The children, in a week and a day, will be hit with this theme of road trip. They're going to walk alongside the Israelites in that long journey out of Egypt into the wilderness and the Red Sea to Mount Sinai and ultimately to the promised land. I thought it would be a good idea as a church to take that journey alongside our children. And so next week we'll be, we'll be at the Red Sea. But I love that metaphor of the journey. So in our searchers class, we've used that metaphor a lot. We've talked about that, that life is a journey. And really, I don't think there's a better metaphor for life. Everyone has a journey in life. We all have a beginning. We all have a destination. There are road stops. There are bumps in the road. There are flat tires. There's also beautiful scenery and family togetherness. There's joy. There's heartache. This is life. This is Israel's story 
This is our story. So let's take a road trip with the Israelites in the book of Exodus. Exodus is the great story of God redeeming his people, a people who were in slavery, a people for whom God takes on this journey. But in thinking about this as a road trip, the beginning of the journey was not something that was really planned out months in advance by the people. So sometimes we look way out into the future and say, on this date, we're going to take this trip, especially here in the summer. Well, the Israelites did not have that luxury. In fact, the beginning of their journey really begins with a lot of false starts. And just in summary, the book of Exodus is about a people, the descendants of a man named Abraham, and they have become slaves in Egypt. And this This new Pharaoh has taken over the land of Egypt, and he is driving the people into the ground with hard labor. So much so that at the end of Exodus chapter 2, the people cry out in their pain. They groan. This trial is beyond them. They are a people who are about to break, and so they do the only thing they can do. Just like children, they, they cry out. But also at the end of Exodus 2, we learned a little bit about God. God hears. God remembers His covenant with Abraham, the promise of blessing. God sees their plight. And then Exodus chapter 2 ends with this phrase, God knew. God knew. God knew the pain that they were experiencing as a people. And when God knows something like that, God acts, and that's what the book of Exodus is about. God calls on Moses to go and confront the Pharaoh, and so on the ground, it looks as if Exodus is this contest between Moses and Pharaoh. Charlton Heston, Yul Brenner. But that's not what the story's about. No, it's, it's really a cosmic contest between the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the gods of Abraham. And we see this especially in the plagues that God sends to the Egyptian people, and especially the last plague, the plague to end all plagues. This plague that goes right through the house of Pharaoh, whom the people of Egypt viewed as a god on earth. It is the plague of the death of the firstborn. And this plague not only confronts the Pharaoh as God on earth, but he confronts his lineage. And we know this is a battle between gods, because God says it is. So in Exodus chapter 12, God gives Moses these instructions to give to the people, instructions about what we call the Passover, these instructions for the people to protect themselves from the wrath of God. And so God gives instructions about the sacrifice of a male lamb and the blood of the lamb painted on the doorpost and the lentils and the bread that is made without leaven. All these instructions God gives to Moses in Exodus chapter 12. But then in Exodus 12, verses 11 through 12, God says this. Let's pick it up in verse 11. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, this is the Passover meal, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. 
For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. On all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. This is a cosmic contest. This is a clash of worldviews. This is God imparting and implanting in His people this memory, this memory that will shape them for generations to come, the memory of the God who is above all other gods, what we read this morning in Psalm 95. Here at the beginning of the road trip, at the beginning of the journey, God initiates, God acts. This morning, I want to hone in on this idea of memory. And especially as it relates to identity, because the two are so interwoven together. And it's interesting, in Exodus chapter 12, the ordering of this chapter. And so at the end of the chapter, we have the Passover. We have the actual event of of God striking down the firstborn of the Egyptians. But before this, God institutes a meal and even a structure of worship to memorialize this event. Now think about that. The memorial precedes the event itself. That seems rather strange. Look at verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Again, before the event actually happens, God is giving this instruction. Chapter 12, verses 24 and following. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. The instructions for worship and ritual take place before the event actually happens. Strange, you might say. Oh, maybe not. Maybe what God is doing here in setting the memorial before the event, is he is really instilling confidence in the people. When God says something, it's going to happen. It's going to take place. God is demonstrating the surety of this event going to happen. But I think also what's in play here is something that God knows better than us. It's that we are a forgetful people. We forget. We forget who we are. And so before the journey begins, before the keys are turned, before the Israelites head out on the road, it's almost as if God brings out the map and marks out times and places for the people to pull over on the side of the road and pause and rest and reflect and eat. And remember, to feast and remember. 
because of the people just plow through on the journey without pausing to remember, without reenacting in ritual the Passover lamb and the unleavened bread, the people will lose their memory. They'll lose memory of the event itself, but worse than that, they'll lose the memory of who they are because their memory shapes their identity. And so this morning, as we locate ourselves on this spiritual journey, as we hear the great emphasis in this chapter that God places on memory and remembering, I would challenge us to think through, as a congregation, the different habits, the different practices, the different rituals that we have in place to intentionally remember the story. Well, of course, our biggest one happens right here, week in and week out, and Jonathan will lead us in some thoughts here in a moment at the table. We remember as our Lord instructed us to do. We remember His death. We proclaim the Lord's death until He comes again. But what are some other ways we remember the story? Well, we can answer this on a congregational level. These traditions we have in place to embed the story into our memories. I can name a few of them. Those things that help us sustain our memory. So, our annual Christmas pageant the baby dedication, the Easter sunrise service, the nursery graduation. In April, the second graders gathering up here and reciting Psalm 23, the weekly shepherd's scripture and prayer, the shepherd's reflections here at the table whenever someone is baptized, Camp Agape, that's starting in one week, if you haven't heard, the annual youth trips, Tulsa, Blue Haven, and the list could go on and on and on as we catalog all the different things, all the different traditions that we do here as a church to help us remember, to help us remember who we are. But as we close this morning, I want to challenge us to think not just corporately, but to think about us as individuals, with our friends, with our families. What are some things that you do, or some things that you could do, to help tell that story, to keep that story in the forefront of our minds? What are some rituals that we can institute in our families to lock that story in? Well, I know many of us follow in our devotional readings what's called the Christian calendar. And so our readings follow those dates marked out every year, dates of the Lord's birth and His life and His death, His resurrection, His ascension, the coming of the Holy Spirit. So the church worldwide, many churches follow a calendar, and some of us are in that rhythm of thinking about those particular events, keeping those events fresh in our minds, and I would encourage us to do this if you're not in the habit of doing it. If you're looking for a resource, I can help you. There are plenty of guides out there. But that's a question for us to consider. Are there specific places on your map, your family map, times and places that are set aside to tell that story in very intentional ways? What does that look like? Is it an Advent calendar? 
in December. Acts of service connected to the story of the birth of Christ. Annual pilgrimages. Readings. Events. Get-togethers. Do you have those in place? We can be creative. It could be going out with our families or maybe a group to Enchanted Rock and hiking, not just for fun and fellowship, and that is fun to do, but what if we did that on an annual basis for a time of prayer and reflection and lifting up Thanksgiving and reading scriptures? I don't know. What would that look like for your family? What would that look like for you and your friends and your relationships? So on the journey of life, on our work, on our road trip, perhaps it's time to pull over, and we have some time. We have some time today, maybe at lunch, maybe tonight with our families, to pull out the road map, which means the calendar, and pick a date. Set aside a day. Maybe it's a, a Saturday in the fall. Maybe it's a Saturday morning. We set aside a day to go and be with each other and in ritual to tell that story. Ritual is not a bad thing. In fact, ritual is really how we function in this world. So why not be intentional about our ritual and about our practices and about our habits? That's something to think about as we travel on this road trip. Let us pay close attention to the feeding and the sustaining of our memories because it is our memory that really shapes our identity and who we are. As we are reminded of this great story which we are about to participate in, the Lord's Supper, the story of God's redeeming grace, the story of God's faithfulness to His promises, promises that we are not only beneficiaries of, but we are actually participants in these promises. We are part of this mission that God has for the rescue of the world, as we are reminded of week after week with bread and with wine. And so the invitation is ours to think through what are those practices that keep the story alive for us, Maybe we have lived in a way where we have forgotten the story. Well, this is a great time to, to come back to that story, to, to come back and walk in step with our Creator. If you'd like to respond to the good news of God's redeeming grace, we invite you to come this morning as we stand and as we sing. Only.